0: Hi, Coffee and Convo listeners. I'm your host, Liz Bullard. And here's a quick ad before we get into our episode. Welcome back, Coffee and Convo listeners. I am joined by, um, I know I say this every time, but I'm very excited by who I'm joined with uh, this episode. I'm here with Bilal, Tajaldeen, and Hector Navarro, and I'm excited because we are talking about politics, and these are two of some of my favorite people, so welcome Bilal, and Hector, how are you?
1: Good, thanks for having us, Liz. Doing good.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. And so for those of you who don't know uh, these two individuals, we're going to get to know them because they are running in the... 2021 election. Um, It it seems early for some, and it seems kind of like maybe triggering for others um, (laughs) coming off of the presidential election, which was neck and neck. And for some people, they are still thinking that uh, we are in the 2020 presidential election. So um, I'm hoping this is a less traumatic experience than that. Same. (laughs) Right. And so um, before we jump into it, please, um, Bilal and Hector, introduce yourself and let us know, are you a coffee or tea person? And Hector, I'll start with you.
2: Yeah. uh, So my name's Hector Navarro. I was born in Puerto Rico and moved to Waterbury when I was eight, Um, attended the public school system. Um, From there, I joined the military at 18. Um, deployed overseas, was stationed in California for about eight years, then came back to Waterbury, um, built a small nonprofit here in Waterbury called Brass City Gamers Tournament. Um, we host uh, esports tournaments for charity and fundraising purposes, as well as provide free STEM learning opportunities. I'm a graduate of Naugatuck Valley Community College with a, uh, associates in cybersecurity, and now I am running for commissioner on the Waterbury Board of Ed. And I am more of a tea person than coffee.
0: Oh, so tell me, as a, a tea addict myself, what is your perfect blend or cup of tea?
2: Uh, actually, you know, my wife is the one that really does all the mixing. Um, so I don't know what she does, but she definitely does her magic with the tea package. She has several different ones, ones that I would use whenever I get sick or other ones where I just need to a little lift me up.
0: Okay. Okay. Would you say you're kind of like a go with the flow type of person? It seems like, you know, just kind of like, you're just like, ah, you know, I'm just kind of, I like tea, you know, I'm I'm into trying different things.
2: Exactly. That's exactly it.
0: (laughs) And also from like your journey, it it seems like you are open and willing to, to different things. You have military background, you have this nonprofit, um, and you're not born and raised here in Waterbury, which is interesting um, because a lot of times in politics, we find people that um, are run for local uh, office often have just been here. And so it's kind of nice to see that you have this diverse background to bring some of that insight back to the local level. Love that! I love that. And so, Bilal, introduce yourself. What are you running for? And are you a coffee or a tea person?
1: Yeah. Thanks. So, my name is Bilal Tajaldine. I am 28. Uh, born and raised in Waterbury. My parents immigrated here um, as a couple in the 80s. My father had been coming here uh, for a couple couple years before that. I'm, and this year, I am running for Board of Alder in the 5th District, so which is parts of the East End, parts of downtown. Uh, it's, we have about 22,000 residents in the 5th District. And I would say between coffee and tea, I'm definitely a coffee drinker. Um, sometimes, it was I used to drink many, many cups a day, and I've since reduced it down to one very large cup a day. And that seems to even me out.
0: I, I really see that fitting you, Bilal, because you <laughs> need that high energy because you are also very busy, uh, whether it's with you know philanthropy through um, your job or just trying to get people excited about Waterbury and community de- development. And so I could definitely see that. Are you more of a... Um, a bold coffee drinker like some of those bolder flavors or more subtle what does your perfect cup look like
1: you know so it's 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 funny it's an interesting question because i have tried on occasion to drink coffee just black and it really has to be like a good quality coffee to enjoy it otherwise it's just like it's bitter and it, like, doesn't taste very good. And I'm always very impressed when people can just drink coffee without adding anything to it. Yeah. Um, but I would say coffee is, like, the conduit for the energy, right? As long as it tastes, it's good, it's fresh, it's hot. I'm pretty pretty good with any cup of coffee as long as it's, like, not that kind of diner coffee that tastes like soap after you drink it. <laughs>
0: I can definitely see, you know, that belong definitely see you not that bitter, strong coffee drinker. Not that you're not strong, but you have such a, a sweet personality about yourself, such a, a kind personality about yourself. So Thank I definitely you. see you being like this warm cup that's um subtly strong, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, you know, as long as, as long as it checks all the boxes and it's a it's a delight, then I'm I'm down for it. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. And and so, listeners out there, um, I hope this episode, even for those of you who are not in the Waterbury area, I hope this piques your interest about running for local office because it is a challenge, but it's a joy. And I hope that um, you guys are willing and open to talking about talking about um, this journey. Um, so, are you ready to jump in? Yeah. All right. So, kind of tell me a little bit, like why now why what kind of possessed you to say i'm gonna take on Waterbury and the craziness of the politics that are here and go against the grain and and go even though they didn't say it was my turn and i'm going to do this um bilal we'll start with you what what inspired you to go now
1: so i think a couple of things right um On the really local level, I think it's always a good time to get more involved with your community, whether that's politically or in the nonprofit service sector, or just like volunteering with any of the great community groups we have in town. 2020 was a very politically charged year. Um, We spent a lot of it on the national level, national thinking, right, between Mm -hmm. what we're hearing from... Everything from COVID, CDC guidelines, to national politics, to huge numbers, global thinking. And in 2021, I'm feeling a real urge to bring that back down to the local level and to engage with my neighbors. I haven't seen a lot of them in a year, right? We Mm -hmm. were just out canvassing. Hector and I were canvassing yesterday morning. And it was great to see people I hadn't seen for the past 15 months. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And I love how you touched upon the national level because I think um, COVID was this interesting pressure cooker where you got to see how politics interacted in your everyday life. You got to see what happens on the federal, the state, the local level, and how important it is for all those things to be in sync. So, um, absolutely, I'm sure that speaks to a lot of people listening. And and what about for you, Hector? What inspired you to kind of take on the mantle of running and running for a board of education?
2: Um, So it's a funny story, right? I always tell everybody that I know that I cannot stand politics, um, deeply cannot stand politics. Um, And funny enough, when I was going to Naugatuck Valley as a student, I was also the chair to the student advisory committee. So I was involved kind of somewhat in politics as a student. What inspired me, um, similar similar to Bilal, was um, 2020 was a, a crazy year from an, um, a national perspective and a local perspective. But for me, it was more or less how... Um, how many students were essentially left behind because they didn't have the necessary resources from a technological perspective, Um, especially a lot of our students that are either poverty level or below poverty level to be able to complete their, um, academic, um, their academic progress. Right. So, um, given that situation, um, we, as in the nonprofit that I work with, Brass City Gamers, we submitted for a grant to be able to provide some streaming classes for Twitch and YouTube to um, to local community members here in Waterbury, and we were able to obtain those um, computers to be able to facilitate those classes, and I just thought from the top of my head, I was like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if we had our local public schools have these resources, um, be more technologically um, inclined to, to the point where they can engage students through technology just in case COVID happens again in the future, Lord forbid, at least our teachers will be better prepared from a technology perspective and our students will be appropriately equipped with the necessary resources to be able to continue an education seamlessly. I worked in the office five Mm -hmm. times a day, and I was able to transition working from home completely. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it's such a big issue for public school students and teachers to be able to do the same thing. Um, So that's kind of what inclined me and motivated me towards that direction.
0: And you know, that's, interesting because I never kind of heard it put that way and well first of all kudos to you for being so um innovative and I think that was so smart to use these platforms that one um students are familiar with and using it for an educational base but um work had to continue they did not want to lose money they didn't want to lose profit so the the switch happened relatively quick and seamlessly um And it's interesting that when we talk about education, it was such, there were so many barriers and it's kind of like, why, why was there so many barriers? Um, Even kind of rolling into the fall when there was all this prep time over the summer, there were still quite a few barriers. Um, So it's nice to hear that you want to take this innovative approach. Hector, you told me a little bit about why you want the Board of Ed and what you saw with the students. Um, tell me a little bit, Bilal, what made you want to do Board of Aldermen? And for those of you listening, um, Bilal had specified the District 5, and that's because he lives in that area. And so locally here, Board of Aldermen, they kind of like fact check the mayor. They're kind of like um, the managers. And so they ensure that um, kind of like there's that check and checks and balance system. And so, blah. Well, why board of aldermen instead of board of education or state rep or some other position? Why <laughs> board of
1: aldermen? Sure. So, so you're you're spot on with your analysis of what the board of alder is, and it's in a lot of ways. If it's easier to understand it in terms of like again a national politic, our board of alder is really can really function like a congress right they are the mm-hmm. the body that should debate should have conversations about things should be trying to engage with residents on the most regular and consistent way possible um and in 2015 or prior to 2015 waterbury had alderman at large which meant that anyone could run from anywhere in the city and should be part of the board and there was um a lot of diligent effort around switching that to alderman by district so that we can kind of build in a geographic representation across the city where instead of having a lot of people on the board sort of all in one part of town usually the west end of town bunker hill area had a really strong representation for a long time board alderman by district broke that up and said well now if you want to be part of the board you could be part of it in your district for your district. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of that local level aspect is something that really, really draws to me, rather than, um, you know, when you're a state rep or a state senator, or you're looking at a, a state level, it's a lot farther from sort of just like on the ground with the people level. And it has to be by its nature. And part of what's alluring me to the Board of alder is that I get to be in regular, communication. And that's honestly not going to look that different than my regular right. sort of day-to-day life. Like I'm, I go to as many neighborhood association meetings as I can already. I go to most nonprofit events that happen in town. This is sort of a chance for me to formalize my relationship between where I sit, between sort of the nonprofit sector, someone who's worked in it for a long time and the philanthropic sector to the area residents
0: right absolutely and and i think um i love how you talked about how this is kind of like ingrained in you already like you're already in the community you're already accessible and that is important when you think about the the alderman position because they're kind of like your linkage to the mayor you don't really have access to him and so that's kind of like your alderman they're your local mayor and so um you have to be accessible and I think there's a lot of conversation where people don't feel that their local board of aldermen is, is accessible. And so, um, I, I like that you're, you're gearing towards that. And that's what drew you to the position.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a big part of it, right? Your alder should be someone you see on a regular basis should be someone who is there to help if you need a connection to city services. I mean, particularly for families or older adults like it's hard to navigate city mm. systems they're, they're not necessarily right. intuitive because they're so involved with bureaucracy and departments and you're should be someone that you know about and can call up to be like hey this just happened i don't know what to do what's my next step and they should be able to help you that's sort of their they're like the elbow right between city services mm-hmm. and city administration
0: i like that they're the elbow and <laughs> And so to kind of dive into more of who you are as the candidate, I have broken up um, into like three kind of segments or three type of um, conversation questions. And so the first is diversity. And so um, Hector, well, listeners, I'll tell you a little bit about why I broke this up like this. So locally and nationally, we've seen that diversity has been a call to action. We've seen issues with police violence. We've seen um, just lack of representation in spaces. And um, while these have been ongoing conversations, it's really kind of um, erupted over the past, you know, year, year and a half. And so, asking you both similar but separate um, diversity questions. And I'll start with you, Hector. And so, my Hector, um, my question for Hector is you call for diversity within the school system curriculum. And the governor has already passed legislation regarding this matter, um, regarding um, African-American and Latino studies be taught in schools. Do you think that your platform of diversity within the curriculum has already been achieved or are you looking for um, to expand this or do something different on the local level?
2: It's a great question, Liz. So I think it's a little bit early to tell on this, uh, specifically because that particular bill, Public Act 1912, is going to, is going to be, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to have been voted by the State Board of Ed as of January and then trickled down to offer, to potentially offer the courses in high school over the 2021, 2022 school year, but it's going to be a requirement as of the 2022 fall school year semester. Um, So I would be interested in seeing what the content of that curriculum entails and what exactly it is that the students are learning. uh, First and foremost, Um, are they... as an example, like Black Wall Street, I've never learned about Black Wall Street until Correct. Um, yeah. I was an adult. I've never learned about this in high school or in middle school or in any public education. It wasn't until the Internet came out, I started diving and doing these type of researches. Um, with that being the case, a lot of our students have the Internet at their disposal. Um, they're very wise, specifically our high school students. So it's a matter of not just providing schools the education curriculum, but also integrating um, more diverse teachers into the public school system. Teachers that look like us, teachers that can relate to us, teachers that have a cultural awareness and understanding of the upbringing of these students that are at poverty or below poverty levels. Um, So that way they have a form of engagement and being able to relate to the students and students being able to relate to um, their teachers. I I think the bill is a step in the right direction, but again, like the content is what I would really be interested in seeing. And then depending on what that content entails, we can kind of either adjust fire and edit the, edit the curriculums or add or remove things um, because... History is always being told by the victor, um, and that has been shown time and time again throughout history. And if we don't really look at the ugly history of America, um, we're never going to know what it means to correct ourselves in the future. Um, So this is a pivotal step for us, um, I believe. Um, and I think hiring black and Latino teachers in the public school system is really the conversation that needs to happen if we're going to be effectively, um, teaching these students about diversity. Like, um, I know I've been to a lot of high school classes, um, where the teacher is white teaching Spanish, um, just because they put it into the curriculum doesn't mean that it's going to be effective. It will be a lot more impactful to hear this from a justice impacted individual that was raised through the same neighborhood as I was, and then became a teacher and is now teaching me about this stuff. So that way I'm essentially woke. Um, so uh, that's, that's my take on the, um, diversity and to add to that, um, you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be historical to see stories like Congresswoman Johanna Hayes coming out of Waterbury, um, that inspire and motivate us to see uh, something very rare, like an African American woman become one teacher of the year and then two running and winning for Congress of the Fifth Congressional District. But It would be a matter of the norm to be able to see these things. And I think once we consider that the norm, then we'll be in a position where I would be okay with um, diversity diversity in our schools.
0: It really sounds like you're talking about just creating a culture of diversity and really saying this is our norm here. This is what we stand for here. This is what we want here. And we're going to have it show up, whether it's in our hiring practice in the events in, in whatever, but more of, um, this is who we are versus this is what we take on and put off. If I can summarize it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, And I mean, I would also like to see more native American, um, Courses in these curriculums, because we can't forget about those folks either. I mean, we Columbus, you could say anything that you want about him, but at the end of the day, Thanksgiving is a way for us to celebrate us taking over a whole another culture or another country that didn't belong to us. um so we need to stand on those historical facts and teach our students about that.
0: mm, I like that stand on those historical facts um It's kind of same type of question as far as diversity. So um, we know at the local level, there's been a lot about making racism a public health crisis. There's been a lot of um, Black Lives Matter marches over the past year. There has been a call for diversity um, on the local level. Um, And so my question for you is, um, as an alderman, you'll have to work to satisfy... Um, the group of people that are saying we want diversity. And we also have a group here that is quite prevalent that says we already have diversity. We don't need to change anything, you know. um, And so what is your plan to kind of satisfy these both groups, the one who is calling for diversity and those who um, want business as usual? They don't want to change.
1: Mm. So my first thought, Liz, is really that both groups are right. And what I mean by that is that we have a lot of what I would consider optical diversity, Mm. right? Like if you took a snapshot of our board of aldermen or a board of alder and our board of ed, like it, it's pretty diverse. It looks pretty diverse, right? You've got people of um, a, a few different ethnicities, right? There's, um, but it's not necessarily representative, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a gap. We're calling, maybe not even necessarily for more diversity, we're calling for better representation. Um, how do the folks who represent particular ethnicities, how do they show up for their community, right? Like, what are we actually doing to push forward legislation? And it's easy to say, like, yeah, well, we have a Uh, our board cuts this way. These are this many of this ethnicity, that many of that ethnicity. And so we're solid. And it's just like, you know, that's not, that's not really the point that we need to be arguing. It's really, what are we doing for the residents for whom those alders represent? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And in that case, that's why we're seeing folks continue to call for more of a, a, a a dialogue on how, race plays a role through both city structure interpersonal lives you know what Hector's saying about school curricula but there's not really a culture of of fostering that kind of conversation and so I think both both sides of that that um both both people who are making those calls have a valid point but I think it's it's a little misdirected I'll say
0: Mm, right. Right. And the reason I am kind of like hitting on that culture of diversity, because like you said, I, I think that we can do things sometimes in the city that say here, hey, we're checking the checkbox, right? We have, um, I believe, Lebanese mayor of the day, African-American mayor of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, we, yes. Right. And, and we, we do the checkbox. Um but it just doesn't seem like it is the core of who we are. You know what I mean? It just doesn't feel, and I don't know what that disconnect really comes from, but I think that something needs to be changed so that there is more of a connection of um, you desire to be heard. And maybe that's what the foundation is. Maybe just people don't feel heard. While they might be quote unquote represented, they are not heard. And, And that's a, Two very different things.
1: Yeah, I think that's, you know, when we were canvassing just um, yesterday morning, Saturday morning, a lot of folks that we were able to actually speak to, you know, obviously when you canvas, you, you knock on as many doors as you can. And if you, you're lucky if one in five are home and answer. But mm-hmm. when we were able to speak to some of the neighbors in the East End over here in Bully Manor, a lot of them do feel really disconnected to their government we we hector and i met with a resident who has been here for about a decade and and she was like honestly i'm not even really sure who the mayor is like i don't engage with the city administration i don't need anything from them they don't call anything to me and so residents are just sort of like existing through as politics happen around them and so there is a really deep disconnect. Um, we have a disconnect between sort of the 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 folks who are ready to guard the way things have always been and folks who want to try new and exciting things. And I, I don't want to make it sound like that's generational because it's not. There are many, many older adults in Waterbury who were, who were on the cutting edge of progress when it was happening, right? When we mm-hmm. talk about historical turning points. There are a lot of folks in Waterbury who were there, who, who that's a part of their story too, right? So it's not generational. And there's a lot of young people who think that things are fine, that we shouldn't be arguing for better representation, more access, better services, that we shouldn't sort of frame things in a racial context because they find that it sort of distorts what you're talking about. So it's really about the folks who who are comfortable saying, this is the way we've always done things, and then folks like Hector and myself were saying, yeah, that may be true, but that was yesterday and this is today.
0: Right. Right. And and I think diversity also because again, when we talk about diversity, we get stuck on race, but sexual orientation, socioeconomic, yep. um, disability and yeah. I feel like I mean that maybe could be where the, the the disconnect comes in because I feel sometimes we focus locally on the race aspect. Um, but I think that's because that is the easiest to see. and it's kind of like the the easy card. We don't really make it ingrained into our um, our, our culture of who we are as a city. And I wonder if that's also where that disconnect comes from. So. Thank you both for sharing. All right, you guys are ready for engagement. We're we reached into the hard one, the one that everyone in the city tries to to crack um but doesn't seem to be able to and and that's engagement. Um and and Belong, I'll, I'll start with you. So the reason engagement is on here is because historically in Waterbury the voter voter turnout has not been well, mm. um, especially in district 5. District 5 is um one of the lower voting districts. Yep. Um and so after um election season is done, how can we boost en- engagement? How do we um how do we fix this? Any thoughts? How as a person who is running, are you concerned about the lack of engagement?
1: Yeah, I am I'm concerned about it insofar as I, I'm, I'm upset and disheartened that folks don't feel like they're part of the political process. Um, and I think we, we another constituent we met with yesterday um, was telling me that what's the point in even really watching board of alder meetings when everything gets sort of rubber stamped and green lit and there's no discussion no questions no follow-up and this was a man um who was a, a very active voter um and lived in the city for 35 40 years um he was an old he's an older adult and just and and basically saw right through the whole thing he was just like there's no point I've seen city politics I've been involved like he's he's like I've watched it and I I'm not interested anymore it, it doesn't seem like it's something that's actually a call and response. It's not like city says something residents respond city adjusts It's just like this is the plan everyone's on board great there's no dialogue, no discussion it passes. And so when I think about how to how to work with engagement, we what we need to do is is really, look at this through like a backwards design process, right So people like to start at let's get in the streets or have a have a party or like do a flyer or something. It's just like that's that is not the starting point. Like we need to think about great, what's the logical conclusion of and our litmus test for when we see residents are fully engaged And so maybe that's turning up at board of Alder meetings for public comment right so if we're saying that's the key, we need to look at that moment and build backwards and that starts with better notices of when those meetings are they're not always easy to find you have to go through the city website they're not you know there may be one post or one email about them or if you're in city hall you might find a sign on the bulletin board that says the meeting is this date and this date so it starts with better advertising it starts with perhaps even alders reaching out to their constituents about upcoming issues they know about asking for their input their dialogue it, you build it backwards and then you get to the final point where you're thinking of great so this resident's at home on a monday when the board of alder is going to meet later that day what do they need from the start of that day to the end of that day to feel excited and ready to show up for that meeting at seven o'clock
0: absolutely um because as you were talking about building backwards um i thought of uh representative um, alexandria ocasio Mm-hmm. Um, whether you like her, hate her or indifferent, her engagement is phenomenal. Yeah. And I think like you talked about um the delivery of notices, the accessibility. Um, that that is important. Um, I think I like signed up one time during election and like I still get like these emails about this is what's going on. Hey, this is what she did. There is this constant dialogue. Instead of waiting for me to seek her, there was this constant like, hey, I'm here, I'm available. There's this constant like, I'm going to go to you type of feel.
1: Right. And I
0: think we sometimes lose that at the local level. And I get it, like your board of order, you know, or your board of education, they're employed outside of being on the board. Um, so this is not their full time job but um, we constantly talk about engagement. And so I think it's really about getting creative and um, you know, kudos to the both of you for canvassing because I think you're kind of getting the jump. You're saying like, hey, I'm not just going to show up and say, hey, I'm Bilal, hey, I'm Hector, vote for me. You're mm-hmm. saying, who are you? And what do you need um, before even having that conversation of, hey, I, I want your vote. You're being yeah. um, building and- relationship building like you, you mentioned.
1: Right. And I want to I want to be clear that you're you're spot on when we're saying that our Board of Alder and our commissioners on the Board of Ed have have full and robust jobs. Right. I don't want to make it seem like I think it's the responsibility of every alder or commissioner to like do an extra 15 hours worth of work a week to get information out, because that doesn't create a system where. And a regular resident can see that position and be like, that's something I can do, right? Mm -hmm. You need to set an idea of what a minimum expectation is, which has to be a little bit of work, right? Because this is, you're, you're now accountable to almost a quarter of our city's population. You have to be available. But there's also an element of this in which the city can take a more active role in information disbursement, right? They don't have to. It doesn't have to be so passive as mm-hmm. one post, one email, one flyer. Like there should be, there should be an, an element of our city administration that is that is dedicated to engagement, that is representative across all spectrums, right? Age, gender, sexuality, race, religion. There needs to be resources allocated to this so that our alders who are regular residents, right, can have what they need to do their job, that the residents feel like they have the information they need to be informed about what's happening. And where better to employ that than within the city government? That just, all that does is strengthen the link between resident to central administration. Mm.
0: Hector, anything you'd like to add to that?
2: Yeah, Um <laughs> Engagement is um, has been a difficult problem that Waterbury has experienced for years, and I think it's it's funny, right? Because as we look around our community, you always see people on their phones. Mm. So I think when you think in terms of engagement, you have to think think in terms of attention. Almost mm. looking at looking at um, our citizens, not as Um, not as customers, but as where their attention is going. And most of their attention is on their phone, on their mobile devices. And we still have like this um, dinosaur template on top of the 21st century tools where we try to relay this information over mail or over flyers, over things like this, especially when it comes to even public meetings, like I'm actively involved on YouTube, on Facebook, on all these different technology platforms, and I have to literally go out and look for a, the next Board of alderman meeting or the next Board of um, Ed meeting to try and engage with them and let them know my opinions, my feedback. And if it's difficult for me, for somebody that's engaged within the community, I could just imagine somebody that's completely disengaged from the community and doesn't know where to start at all whatsoever. Um, so I agree with Balaho hardly. I think there has to be some sort of system in place where citizens can um, to reach out to their local politicians or local um, elected leaders um, and receive a response in a timely manner.
0: Right. And I know kind of the, the response, as you were saying, that would be, well, we, we have our email posted. We have our phone number posted. Yeah. Um, sometimes that just doesn't seem accessible. And it, again, it's very much um, the person has to then search for that and, um, and I think it, you know, you like you mentioned Hector using those platforms of YouTube, social media to say, "Hey, I'm here. This is what I'm doing." Um, whether that's in doing lives, in doing like just getting out there so that your officially know. I, I mean, accessibility we have seen over this past year it, it, is important. People want to engage with people who are accessible.
2: Right. I mean, I'm going through and introducing myself to all my leaders. Um, and calling them as the DTC mm-hmm. chair advised me to, and as I'm calling these individuals, they are completely disengaged. I call mm-hmm. the voicemails and emails; they don't respond. When they respond, they're rude. Like, come on, bro! Like you're an elected leader. This is what you do. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of give and take. Like, I think a lot of these people that are put in power. And that's the key word. They're put in power. They're not elected. Um, They're selected by the mayor. So we need to completely destroy that type of thinking and start having a politics where it is elected by our people, government or a alderman for our people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Hector kind of bringing it back to the students. Um, we see COVID has um, very negatively impacted engagement. You spoke about um, the difficulty accessing technology, and um, there has been talk, whether not nationally and locally, about um, the long-term impact that this might have on students and their education. Um, as someone who is petitioning for a seat with the Board of Education, um, what are your thoughts on engaging students uh, emotionally and academically um, to fall back in love with with education and, and to get caught up and ready to put in the hard work that um, this last year, year and a half has kind of in a way taken from them.
2: This is big for me because I'm a big after school advocate. Um, and with technology being on the rise, there are so many creative Innovative, intuitive ways to be able to teach students. I don't know how many different programs I found out there, but you type in Google coding programs for kids, and you're going to get a plethora of information. Curriculum's already built, Mm -hmm. programs already provided to students for 90 days that kids could just literally sit there and learn how to code their own video games, how to create a narrative, how to. Learn JavaScript, HTML, build their own websites, um, and with those type of resources available to us, and allowing kids to almost gamify their education, um, it's a no-brainer to be able to kind of integrate technology into our curriculum, like, and not just a a basic computer science elective. Like, I believe that our public school system should have a technology-centric education system reform where we integrate technology almost as much as important as reading history, English, and math. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I believe that this type of um, education system for our students will actually motivate and encourage legislators to work with I don't know local internet service providers to provide work or provide a state incentivized programs for households that are below poverty that, to receive high speed internet and resources for students to perform to their academic potential. Like I think of, I imagine like different tap the uh, different type of untapped potentials and opportunities programs and resources in our schools like cybersecurity, if we had cybersecurity after school program or even classes, um, in our public school systems, I could imagine kids creating hackathon clubs, being able to compete (laughs) in like local or national levels, um, coding or programming. Having a robotics tournament club in Willby or in Kennedy that they could complete on local or national level. Esports classes, not just playing video games on a competitive level, but learning about the historical facts of esports. Like the esports market revenue in 2019 reached almost $1.6 billion. Um and it's increasing and employment in the esports industry is up 185% as of 2019 and still growing. And it grew last year during 2020 during COVID because it was an industry that blew past the film and the music industry combined. Um, so those type of situations and those type of discussions need to happen because um, from a local level, we can... Train kids to learn production, technology, competition, marketing, management skills just through esports alone. And then, lastly, I also think that there's a potential, even though it's very early and in its infancy stages, to be able to integrate some sort of after-school program with blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. Um, A blockchain developer alone can make on a low end $115,000 to $225,000 annually. Like Preparing our children for these type of jobs and not just the traditional jobs that we're used to um, is going to be important. Um, in the 21st century and moving beyond, so I think these after-school programs are absolutely essential. And it goes back to the engagement portion of us being able to engage with the families. Like a lot of a lot of students are left by either themselves at home after school or with their older siblings. Right. Because their parents may work a double shift or probably three different jobs Mm -hmm. and can't take care of their kids. So it would be better to have an after school program that's parental, um, that you have a parental type of figure um, that's teaching them, preparing them in an internship or type of apprenticeship type of program and encouraging them to go to school, get their high school degree and perhaps jump over to a career opportunity. Um, I just don't believe that there's enough programs out there for kids after school, which is why we see so much different issues with behavioral, mental health, and things like that. And that's a whole nother segue that I could just start talking for hours.
0: Well, I I definitely hear the passion in your your voice when you talk about this. And like, I'm excited about all these possible things that could be happening. And and I think that's a a critical um, point that sometimes is missed. Is passion and and excitement. We get so caught up in these are the benchmarks we have to do, these are the check boxes. But that's exhausting. And and like letting these kids really become inspired again and meeting them where they are. And, you know, again, parents are are stretched, they're overworked, and sometimes they don't want to do an extra thing. So uh, weaving in that technology. whether it's Zoom, to say, hey, log on, we're, we're going to have this, this, this session over Zoom or whatever that accessibility component looks like. Um, but also, um, to your point about you Googled about coding programs, there are a lot of families yeah. that are supplementing um, their, their public school education with things that they're finding on Google because yeah. these programs are so free, they're so accessible. Yep. And like a teacher could be doing that, an administration yep. could be doing that. Like these are things that can be done. Um, they require change, they require work, but.
2: It's free. It's what free. Is- you don't need to, you don't even need to include it in the budget for the Board of Ed. Like right. all of these programs are free and the curriculums are already made. Right. Like we're basing our entire curriculum. For my nonprofit based on these free software programs. Ooh. So why can't we put integrate something similar to the public school system?
0: I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I will not hold you guys. I know you guys, your time is valuable as, as candidates out there. Um, but I have one last question, um, for you and it is about working with the mayor and it is important to have a good working relationship, but what we, cr- we often see here are comments about how um, currently those in office um, don't oppose the mayor enough or don't advocate for the concerns of the community. And Bilal, you touched upon this when you mentioned the constituent was saying that things just get passed on through. And so my question for you, Bilal, I'll we'll start with you and Hector, uh, then I'll go to you is, Um, How important is it to align with the vision of the mayor um, and how do you foresee yourself working with him if you're not in agreement with his policies, Um, especially when the mayor has made commentary about he wants to work with people who are like-minded? So how do you foresee um, getting some of these ideas that you mentioned off the ground with the mayor who may or may not agree with your point or with your um, platform?
1: Yeah, I, m- I remember the, uh, what you're referencing is when uh, there's a vacancy on the Board of Ed that I believe, if I'm correct, Hector applied to, for that vacancy. Sure did. And did not ever hear back. Uh, and a, oh, a, a, someone who works in the police department got put on the board. Yes. Uh, around the, the time. of
2: Police Department at that.
1: Yeah, and I believe the, the commissioner has, she has a PhD in some kind of clinical psychology that works with young people, and this was viewed as her credential, her value add to the board of ed.
0: Yes, and full uh, disclosure, I had applied and I had a letter of recommendation from the Republican Town Committee uh, yep. to fill the seat, which was empty, and it did not, I didn't got no response either, Hector.
2: <laughs> mm. And yeah. I was
0: not hated by the party who was looking to fill the seat.
1: So shocking. Yeah. <laughs> so two thirds of the people on this podcast have applied for that seat and uh, did not get it. And and that was around the same time as and it was when we were calling for a clear discussion on the role of race in Waterbury. And so a lot of residents felt really, really disenfranchised by that decision. And so in the Rep. Am, Um, the mayor was, was quoted as saying that I like to work with people who agree with me. He said he, he, of course he fills vacancies with folks who agree with him. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, what's, what's important to, to really bring into the conversation is that the board of Alder is a unit unto itself, um, it has its own authority it has its own power um it does not you know if like the diversity committee in the city um is a committee of the mayor's discretion it serves at the pleasure of the mayor he has the ability to disband it whenever he chooses he had the ability to put it together when he wanted um our local commissions like the human rights commission our board of alder our board of ed those are designed by statute to exist outside of influence. They must exist for our city to function. And part of what what I would like to really bring forward is that obviously there needs to be a spirit of cooperation, but the Board of Alder needs to be responsive to the constituents, to the people. It It can't function if it functions as an extension of the, the administration's desires, the mayor's desires. And from my perspective, what that means is that we can have really great, interesting dialogues, right? Like I'm not, I would not consider myself a conflict-averse person. I don't, I don't shy away from discussion, debate, dialogue. I don't think criticism is a dirty word. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm super ready and jazzed to win in November, join the board, and hopefully bring with me not only my opinions as a as a tried and true born and raised Waterbury resident, but the opinions and the critical insights of people who live in the Fifth District, who have lots of great ideas. There's across the city. I don't want, I won't, I'll uplift the Fifth District because it's, it's, you know, it's where I live, but all Waterbury is filled with sharp, insightful, clever, funny, kind people who have great ideas. And I'm happy to do whatever I can to make sure that that those values are brought forward and that we move with clarity when the board is ready to make its decisions.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's beautifully said, law because um, kind of circling back to diversity and being heard, right? Part of being heard is is knowing that there is an opposition. And that's not always bad. It's not always negative because there's sometimes there are valid points. Um, it doesn't mean you cannot stand on what you stand on, but there is value in hearing all these different point of views um, and having conversation and saying, hey, how do you feel about this? Because then that gets your wheels turning. There, mm-hmm. Everyone brings their own life experience. And so um, it, it, it is important. And so, um, Hector, how do you feel about this? How do you foresee going into working with the mayor's office who may not be open to all these ideas that you've mentioned about um, the curriculum and after school.
2: Yeah, so I've thought about that a lot because, you know, I'm only one vote amongst 10 others, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I have, I've been thinking about like, situations where current board of ed members want to step in, and they are, incentivized not to vote um, based on their personal opinions or how they feel about a personal issue. But just like Bilal said, they just rubber stamp it and vote unanimously just like the rest of the board. Or they don't get endorsed by the DTC or by their town committee the next following year. So um, they continue to vote the same exact way on how the mayor would want them to vote. Um, So I think it's a matter of whether or not I choose to stand in solidarity or by myself, um, I should say, whenever it comes to that. If it's 10 people saying no, and I'm the only one, yes, then so be it. Um, I'm going to represent the people. I believe that that was much of the issue that happened during our last politics, where people stood behind trump so much that they it wasn't necessarily um us it was more or less him running the government rather than the people govern the running the government so Mm -hmm. on a local level we need to ensure that it's not mayor o'leary or mayor navarro or mayor Bilal that runs the government but the people run the government and I'm all for collaboration. I'm all for being tactful and respective of everybody else's opinions. But at the end of the day, there has to be results. And if I'm one of the very first people that go in there and run for Board of Ed, my hopes and desires is that by 2023, this puts a fuel and a fire for other folks, other young folks and engaged and active participants in our community to step up and... Um, be the change in their local community. When I came in here, I wanted to change the entire world, and I slowly found out that you know I need to start in my own backyard, right? Um, right. And try and change the problems in my backyard before I move on and try and fix the world. Um, and I think a level of, like Bilal said, a level of cooperation, but a realistic view to where we don't um, compromise our values and compromise what we are standing for and who we stand for. Like we're going out there and engaging the community because realistically, like I've never done this before. I'm not in politics. I need to know what the community is complaining about what they don't like in order for me to bring this to the table at the board of ed. Um, That's what we are supposed to do. We're not supposed to follow one man's law. We're supposed to follow the community's concerns and, address them accordingly.
0: Again, um, wonderfully said, because um, you both have touched on getting people to run uh, uh, for office, to again, fall in love with their community, to get back out there and let their voice be heard. And if they feel that um, they don't fit who's already in office, whether that's the group of aldermen, board of ed, with the mayor, if they feel that they're not reflected it really decreases engagement i mean all these things really run together and it's about shifting um the culture and dynamic of the city um beyond rebranding the name and the logo but really saying who are we as a people and how do we um achieve that and um i think that you know again best of luck to both of you it is not easy um, it's not easy to put yourself out there. It's not easy to canvas. It is a lot of time and mental space. And so um, thank you for sharing your platform and coming to Coffee and Convos. And please do not let this be the last time. Um, Bilal and Hector, before I ask my last question, please share any last words, anything else you want the people to know. Bilal, I'll start with you and then Hector.
1: Yeah, I would, I would say head over to, if you're interested in getting involved with local politics, if you want to run this year, if you want to run next year, um, I had to spend a lot of time figuring out this process from the the ground up. There's no guidebook really that, that talks you through the forms and the process. I'm happy to share whatever I learned with anyone who wants to run um, in the fifth district even. If you want to, if you're like, hey, this guy sounds all right, but I want to challenge him, call me and I'll tell you exactly how and the more the merrier.
0: Absolutely. Hector, anything you'd like to add?
1: Yeah, um so
2: I think I I echo um Bilal's statement like I'm a week behind Bilal and everything that he's learned he's trickled down over to me so he's been a phenomenal mentor. Um, in this entire journey and process. So if I could give that back to anybody that's running for Board of Ed um, or any office, uh, I would love to um, make myself available to be able to help out as well. Um, and also to add, I would um, I would hope that anybody that wants to change the way that their local government or local problems in their community, um, it sees us as being below as just two agents that are, you know, willing to get in the front lines and open the doors for anybody else that feels inspired to do so. Whether it be here locally in Waterbury or somewhere else nationwide um, from your listeners, I highly encourage folks to be civically engaged.
0: Well, thank you both. And again, kudos to you. Um, Again, it is not easy And so it's important to always do a self-check-in within yourself and say, like, hey, what do I need so that I can continue to go out there and fight for my community, to advocate, to uplift. Um, And sometimes um, you don't get that instant gratification. And so it is that long-term hard work. And so my final question is, what's in your cup? And this is where I ask my listeners and my guests to tell me three things that they need to get through their day and their week. What are three things they need to um, feel a little bit more full? And so um, Hector and Bilal, while while you think of your answer, I will give you mine. Um, I need a cup that is filled with change, hope, and abundance. Um, Something just has to change. This kind of status quo, doing business as usual, um, it's just not working for me anymore. I want to be inspired. I want to fall in love with the community again. I want to have hope that there's going to change. Um, I I hope that you guys go far in your campaign and get elected because we need um, new voices. We need um, for people to feel like they can can do things in the community and run and get elected. Um, and it has been a while since someone who is not on. Um, the Democratic uh, ticket or um, number one on the Republican has gotten into office. And so it would be nice to see someone say, hey, I want to run and do something. And they they're able to be successful. Um, In abundance, I want a cup that is so full that I'm able to pour into someone else, brighten someone else's day. And so I'm really feeling like a spirit of abundance this week. I want to just be bubbling over with joy, peace, and just kind of spilling that over to those around me. So that's in my cup this week. Change, hope, and abundance. Um, Hector, what's in your cup? What do you need to improve your campaign, improve your day? What's in your cup?
2: yeah um, in my cup, I definitely have a little bit of innovation, passion, and love throughout the week. um and I pray that folks put some of that in their cup throughout the week. um you know i I believe that wholeheartedly that I need to continuously innovate the ways that I communicate with the people. Um, And understand that even during the difficult times, the times where I just want to give up, um, where I'm like, what's it all worth? Um, It's too much hard work, long hours, late nights, early mornings, um, keep standing on the passion um, of my journey and of this and the love that I have for my community. And that's what really drives me during those difficult times, during those times where I'm just tired and exhausted. I know it's not just for me, but for what I stand for and what I'm fighting for. And that's definitely for innovation, love, and passion.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Bilal, how about you? What are you adding to your cup? Yeah,
1: I I guess I think in like much more concrete terms, uh, but these, these cups sound great and I would <laughs> be glad to take any part of those cups. Um, what I wrote down is my sort of what's giving me energy this week. Um, definitely over the past couple of days, my campaign team, um, and, and Hector and, and his team have been incredibly supportive and great, great, great thought partners. Um, you know, it, June, it's Pride Month. I'd say a little pride in my cup, a little excitement, a little pizzazz. That's definitely in there. And also my neighbors. And I know that sounds silly, but like right before we jumped on this podcast, my neighbor texted me and said, hey, can you water my plants? Because I'm not home and it's really sunny.
2: Oh, and how so if I'm going to turn
1: this perfect. podcast off, I'm going to go walk over next door and water my neighbor's plants. And I, I'm happy that she reached out to me to do that.
0: Bilal, your cup is lovely too.
1: <laughs> I need a sip, Bilal.
2: I need a sip. <laughs> I love it.
0: Um, but, you know, it, it, and, and that story is a very great way to end because those are the stories that your aldermen should be doing that we don't talk about. Like, hey, like, can you water my plant? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, your alderman, your board of education, person, they are in the community. They are your neighbor. They are the person that shops at your grocery store. Um, and so, um, again, um, whether you are here locally or if you're somewhere nationally, really taking the time to think about who is my person? Who, who do I go to if there's a problem? Are they accessible? And, and am, am I inspired to do that? Um, so again, um, kudos to both of you. For those of you who are interested in learning more about belong and Hector, their information will be in this episode bio. Um, and as always, please find coffee and Compost on Facebook, Instagram, um, and all social media platforms. So law Hector, congratulations on running, take care and be well.